Welcome back to the Nursing Australia Summer Series. This is part two of our three-part special series coming to you this summer. This is Nursing Australia Presents Medico Legal. We are tackling digital health, computer hacking, cybersecurity, consent, code of conduct. What are our legal responsibilities and duties in healthcare? Privacy, taking care of patients' medical records. How do we protect ourselves from hackers? How do you avoid uh, becoming Medibank Private or Optus 2.0 and how to avoid being sued. Small healthcare businesses in Australia are the biggest target for hackers in Australia at the moment because they know that you're all really nice and you're probably not spending as much money on your data security as you should. They also know that you have accurate information about your patients. And coming up on this very special part two of Nursing Australia Summer Series, while we were in Fremantle at the APNA Conference Roadshow After Party, our producer, Leith Alexander, caught up with some APNA staff and did a few short interviews with them. I'm Sam Moses. I'm the founder of the wonderful organisation called APNA. It came from a simple idea of wanting to get nurses together who worked in primary healthcare and just form a support network for them, really. Hi, I'm Ken Griffin, CEO of APNA. The Nursing Australia podcast is the best podcast for nurses in Australia. Interestingly, we've got 150 dedicated listeners in North Korea for some reason, so hello to them. So welcome to Nursing Australia. This is Nursing Australia Summer Series Part 2, Medico, Legal and Cybersecurity. Let's jump right into this special episode with a quick chat with Sam Moses. Sam founded APNA, the Australian Primary Healthcare Nurses Association, some 21 years ago. Leith Alexander, the Nurse Australia producer extraordinaire, caught up with her at the Fremantle Conference Roadshow while over at the West Coast at the end of 2022. Hi everyone, I'm Sam Moses. I'm the founder of the wonderful organisation called APNA and we're 21, woo! We started in 2001, I guess, and it came from a simple idea of wanting to get nurses together who worked in primary healthcare, specifically in general practice at that time, and see what they were up to, what sort of work they were doing, where they were getting their education from who was advocating for them at a political level and just to get them together because nurses in general practice at that time very much worked in isolation and just form a support network for them really. I was really passionate about it and I wanted the nurses to be invested in it. I wanted it to be run by the nurses who knew what was happening at the coalface with the patients. I was very fortunate to have the support of the divisions of general practice and Smith and Nephew and pretty much anyone who would listen. I feel very fortunate that we're still here 21 years later. We're actually bigger, stronger and more valued, I think, than we ever have been before as a national organisation. We wouldn't be here without our members and, you know, everything we do, we consider their needs and their wants first. We're, we're growing, we've got a fantastic board. Our president, Karen Booth, is probably one of the most highly respected nurses in the country and we're being invited to the table on a lot of policy-making decisions and meetings and that's exactly where we wanted to be. We've got a fantastic staff in-house 
guided by our amazing CEO, Ken Griffin. We all go above and beyond because there's just so much to get done and so much to achieve in the primary healthcare nursing space in Australia. And here we are 21 years later and I can't wait to see where we'll be in another 10 years even. That'll be amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I don't think I need to ask any questions. I think you've covered it all. Um, how, how has the Fremantle Roadshow been in, oh, in comparison to the other ones? Sure. The nurses here are really engaged. Um, I've got to say, look, they've all been awesome. The nurses that we have had the privilege of meeting throughout the Roadshow have all just been focused on what we're saying, really keen to learn, make new friends, have a bit of fun at our 21st birthday party. We've get to, we get to have nine 21st birthday parties, which is pretty special. I I had my 21st a long time ago and now I'm having nine more so (laughs) it's pretty good fun and we get to eat cake and just relax a little bit and it's really really nice. I can't wait to see these guys again next year for our national conference. I think the 27, 28 and 29 of July next year and we can't we can't wait to come back to Fremantle and see these guys again. As mentioned in that package by Sam the national conference for nursing, let's just say it's the the premier nursing event of 2023, is the Festival of Nursing. It is, save these dates, at the Perth Convention and Exhibition Centre from the 27th to the 29th of July 2023. This is the ultimate three-day educational program in all things nursing, not just primary healthcare, nursing. More information and registration details are coming soon. If you do want more information in the meantime, please visit www.apna.asn.au forward slash education forward slash festival. And I will pop a link in the show notes of this episode. You're listening to the Nursing Australia podcast, the show that brings you news, education, powerful interviews, stories from the front line and experts to share their knowledge with you. Now, in this segment, we're going to dive right into Medico Legal. You're going to hear from one West Australian nurse and the only nurse who works at MDA National. That is a Medico Legal or a professional indemnity insurance company. Gay is a risk advisor and she helps provide professional indemnity insurance for medical practitioners as well as insurance for practices and their employees. She is also one of APNA's Platinum members. Now, to be a Platinum member, you need to be a member for 15 years or more, which is approximately five more years than I have been a nurse. So anyway, point is, Gay is a wealth of knowledge and has generously shared with us some of her best tips and things to look out for when working in a primary healthcare practice so we can protect ourselves and others. Basically, let's just not get sued. You might remember there was an earlier episode uh, of Nursing Australia back in 2021 where we met nurse and lawyer extraordinaire Nikki Eastwood. She chatted to us about medical legal issues in nursing. This is a sort of an extension on that. It's the same subject matter. It's hugely popular. It was one of the training topics of 2022. So let's hear it. So we obviously, um, as nurses registered, have a professional duty, okay? And that goes without saying. I think we all know that it's inherent. It's a part of who we are. We also have a legal duty, Um, and there is law um, around privacy. And it does just depend on what area of work you're in as to what bit you come under, okay? So is anyone in the room working in um, the public health sector? No, all in private. Okay, so if you're in a not-for-profit, it's still classified as private, okay? So the two kind of areas is either 
the government, public health department of WA, or everything else, if you like. Okay, so um, if you work in in private practice, which most of you are, what do you do with patients' information? How do you store it? How do you look after it? Who do you share it with? It is a part of the law that you must look after it. And and obviously for nurses. Pretty much most of the time, it might be the practice manager doing it. But I know that there's a few possibly in here that wear dual roles and consequently are responsible for this. And often, you know, practice nurses tend to work quite closely with the practice manager. It's a good idea to kind of know what the rules are. You know, most of the practices that I work with that are primary care based um, have electronic records and they bring with it their own little issues. So when it comes to, to data security, you need to make sure you've got your own log on. Back in the good old days, we had one log on for the nurse and we all logged on as nurse. I really hope you're not doing that anymore. You really must have your own log on. You need to be yourself. You need to not share your passwords with anyone. You need to make sure that you close your computer off or have a quick go to sleep uh, time on it so that no one can get in after you've logged in and do naughty things. And unfortunately in my job, I tend to kind of see the worst things go wrong, which is where my sort of experience and advice comes from. And unfortunately, I have seen examples where someone has made a mistake and then they've managed to log on as somebody else and kind of try and shift the blame, which is a dreadful thing. And I think, you know, generally in healthcare, we're all pretty nice people and we're there for all the right reasons and we tend to trust our colleagues, but it is really important that you do look after your log on. And apart from anything, we don't want patients getting into the system, okay? Um, and we do have very regular examples of patients stealing scripts and all of that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, it is something that you need to think about. You're probably not in charge of the backup. But if you don't take anything else away from me today, talk to your practice manager and ask them, do they test the backup? We are having lots of issues with practices where the power's gone out in a storm and it turns out that the backup has failed and you've lost three weeks of data and you can be absolutely sure that in that three weeks, something terrible happened and all of the notes are lost. Know what a phishing email looks like. Be really careful about clicking on links. Same applies to your personal life. But at work, it's really important because we really don't want the hackers getting into your systems at work. You'll be delighted to know that small healthcare businesses in Australia are the biggest target for hackers in Australia at the moment because they know that you're all really nice and you're probably not spending as much money on your data security as you should. And so they also know that you have accurate information about your patients. Now, if you've gone to Cotton On and given your email, you might have just given your Gmail account that you don't like and you're not going to give them anything else much. But when you go to the doctors, you give them all of your details, um, your Medicare card number, everything that is required for identity theft. And at the moment, it's worth $350 on the dark web for one ID. The other thing that I see causing a few little issues around privacy is photos and images. In an ideal world, I would really like you to have a practice phone or camera 
where images for patients are transferred in and out on that and then into the patient record. But we live in the real world and we know that quite often it ends up being on your personal phones. Just be mindful that if you have an image um, of a patient, you know, a rash or a something, you know, um, the infection, we've got a line around it, send me a photo tomorrow to tell me if it's growing, that kind of stuff. Just remember that if you're making decisions about a patient's care and the doctor, that information should actually be put into the patient record. So if you're using personal devices, just make sure you're deleting it um, and, and just be you know, cautious about the security of it, particularly if it's sort of identifiable. We do see some terrible stories about photos ending up on social media where they shouldn't be and you can be absolutely sure someone somewhere will recognise it and cause havoc. So we have a code of conduct. Have you ever read it? Yeah. Oh, there's a few yeses. You do better than a room full of doctors. How's that? So informed consent, that's the bit that comes out of the code of conduct. But the little bit at the bottom is really important in the fact that, you know, consent makes permissible what would otherwise be unlawful. So we are talking legal stuff. So consent is very, very important. And it's the documentation that will save you. It's quite funny over time, you know, I can hear myself doing, you know, training and education. And the two things that I harp on are most about, uh, you know, cybersecurity and good medical records, clinical records, because that will save you in the event of something going wrong. So you obviously need to be sure that the patient has understood the benefits and the risks and they also understand that they could do nothing what would happen if they do nothing? What are the general risks for a procedure? What are the specific risks for a procedure? And what are the, what we call material risks, which is a silly word. I don't like it, but it's the word that's used in med legal world. Um, material risks mean the actual risks specific to that patient. So for example, a patient that's going to have a knee replacement who's an unstable type 2 diabetic, it's their diabetes that is the material risk to them because we know that they're going to heal more slowly and we need to make sure that everybody on the receiving end at surgery understands and knows. All right, so that's what I mean by a material risk. Now, obviously, the big one in a general practice setting is immunizations, vaccines and stuff, okay? Um, and of course, you know, I don't like to talk about COVID, but obviously, we've had a baptism of fire around vaccinations and consent and all of that sort of stuff. So I think we've all learned a lot um, and you're probably much more tuned in to, you know, consent and consent forms than you might have been, you know, four years ago, which I think in a way is actually a good thing. But then there's the things like if you're working somewhere where you're doing, you know, skin procedures, skin excisions, those kind of things, you might be doing sigmoidoscopies, you might be doing, I don't know, all sorts of things, vasectomies, whatever's going on. You need to make sure that when you are prepping the patient that you've had a chat and make sure that they actually really know what's going on. So for some things, the consent will obviously be more of the issue of uh, the doctor but there will be certain circumstances where that devolves down to you. And just be mindful that if you've been delegated something that you're not comfortable with, that you're not confident with, 
that you don't think is in your scope of practice, you need to say no. It's really important. Consent forms. When I started at MDA seven years ago, the general med legal advice was that consent forms were not necessarily the be-all, end-all, but I can assure you things have changed. What has changed is the wonderful world of plaintiff lawyers. Now, apologies to anyone who has a partner that's a plaintiff lawyer, but we do have now, you know, the big billboards and the ads on the radio, um, you know, has something gone wrong, call us, no fee, we'll get you your money and get them in trouble. Yep. So because of that, there's a lot more activity that goes on in, in my world. So I'm never going to be out of a job, put it that way. What that means, though, is that if your documentation and your consent is written, clear, beautiful, what often happens is that the plaintiff lawyers are not silly. They're only going to take on something that they think they can win. They look at those records and they look at that consent form and the process and what's been written and they go, oh, you know, I think you were informed. I don't think you've really got much of a case here. Okay, so, so whilst written consent can be withdrawn verbally, a good process protocol and a written signed consent form is actually a really good thing. And they need to be taken seriously. And if you're asking patients lots of questions and giving them a form to fill in, you need to make sure you've actually read the form before you actually start doing something with the patient so that you've actually identified did they actually tick something that need to be aware of that you might need to have a bit more of a think about. So what I often hear and see is, Patients filled in the form and then no one ever looked at it. That's what the patients will say. Children. Now this, literally, we could talk about hours. Um, it's awful, okay? So I guess what I want to do is try and give you the basics and, and make you aware of just being very, very tuned in to managing children if there's not an obvious guardian or if... One of the parents, guardian, has indicated that there's a legal thing going on in the background, okay? Um, and look, this is a huge thing. We get phone calls almost every day of the week around this issue. So age of consent, 18 in Australia. Uh, 16 and 17-year-olds are generally considered to be able to make decisions for themselves around their own health. Only a doctor can assess a minor to be competent. We can't under law, but generally a 16, 17-year-old, the usual story, you know, they've gone and they want to see the doctor for the contraceptive pill and they don't want mum and dad to know, that's a very reasonable thing to do, the doctor goes ahead. Now, for you in a practice, what I would like, you know, whatever area you're working in, is to just be very tuned in because it needs to be a team approach, okay? We need everybody in the team to be tuned in if you've got a minor that's come in with a friend and no obvious guardian. Because under the privacy law, 16 and 17-year-olds do have a right to privacy, which means you need to have a system, something in your system to make sure that no one mucks up. So very quick example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a 16, 17-year-old girl went to the doctor's. She, that was her local doctor's practice. She'd been there, obviously, many times before but she went this time for something very personal, saw the doctor and then walked out because she'd always been with a parent and she didn't realise you've got to pay the bill. And so she merrily walked out and went home 
And then the wonderful receptionist thought she was doing a great job and rang the phone number that was in the system and dad answered the phone and the receptionist said, oh, you know, uh, your daughter's just been and left without paying. Wasn't good, okay? It really wasn't good. So these things happen. So you do need to make sure that your system and that all of you are on alert if there's a minor in your practice or in your workplace without a guardian, obvious, then you all need to be tuned in and make sure that you check with the patient who and what is their best contact. And if they give you their personal mobile and they don't want mum's number there, take it out of your system so you can't make a mistake. All right? Now, the other thing is with the younger ones is if there's any indication that there's an issue with guardianship parents, we call them warring parents <laughs> in, in our little world. If there's a sniff of that, you need to dig into it, all right? So basically the law says that both parents have an equal right to a child's health information unless there's a law, a, a, you know, a legal consent orders to the contrary. So you need to ask for proof of that. But of course, you still need to be very, very sensible and practical, which I know you all are, where if there's a domestic violence situation and they haven't got the consent orders through the court system yet, you still need to be very, very cautious, okay? And if in doubt, get the practice manager to call your MDO medical defence or, or the doctor to speak with theirs. So, but I think it's really important everyone is on board with it. We need the front desk staff, the nurses, the doctors. We need everybody tuned in to make sure that you don't make a mistake. I threw this one in. I didn't tell Suzanne because for most of us, if you're working in most areas, then follow-up of results is going to be the bane of your life. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. But I hate to break it to you. If you're working in general practice, the highest thing from a medico-legal point of view that goes wrong, the scariest, awfulest, highest number is missed results. And people do die. So, if, you know, I would really like you to just recognise that although it's a revolting part of uh, the job, and I've been there, done that, I know exactly what it's like, it's horrible, it is really, really, really important. And lastly, before we go... Let's have a quick chat with Apna's CEO, Ken Griffin. The lovely Ken uh, was at the 21st birthday party at our Fremantle leg of the conference roadshow at the end of 2022. Uh, Ken is a very popular gent, uh, one of my personal favorites, and I'm really proud to call him a friend and colleague. He really is a champion of nursing and um, I love him a lot. So happy new year, Ken. Hi, I'm Ken Griffin, CEO of APNA, and I'm here at the Fremantle Conference Roadshow with over 100 nurses from WA. Awesome. And what does it mean to you to be able to be here in Fremantle having this conference? Oh, look, we've been meaning to get to WA for so long, so, so long. We've got so many Western Australian nurses who have missed out on face-to-face -face events, partly because of COVID, but the great thing is... We're here now, we've got such a great turnout and next year we're bringing the conference to Perth as well. Yeah, the National Conference. Can you tell us a little bit about what to expect? 
Yeah, so the National Conference has become the largest nursing conference of all nursing organisations in Australia. So the last one we had was pre-COVID in 2019. We had almost a 1,000 nurses there. We're hoping to replicate that in Perth next year. But the great things that we're looking at putting on the agenda there are really practical workshops to make sure your clinical skills are up to date and best practice. We're going to have a great conference program with research that you haven't been able to see that's the latest and greatest in nursing. And then we're also going to have plenty of great keynote speakers and also tours to great clinical settings so you can see what other people in aged care, school nursing, actually universities, general practices are doing. What do you like about the Nursing Australia podcast? The Nursing Australia podcast is the best podcast for nurses in Australia. Interestingly, we've got 150 dedicated listeners in North Korea for some reason, so hello to them. Nurses around Australia realise that this is the place to come for the best information for them. We haven't had this in primary healthcare before, and of course we've got a great team that makes it sound amazing. Thank you so much to Ken, Gay and Sam for joining us on the show today and enlightening us on all things legal, cybersecurity and the Festival of Nursing for 2023, you know, giving us a little bit of insight into the Australian Primary Healthcare Nurses Association history here in Australia. There is one more episode left in this very special three-part series, Nursing Australia Summer Series, and we'll be tackling aged care. Really, where to from here? That episode will be out in the next couple of weeks and then, don't fear, Supporters of Nursing Australia, and there are many of you, and I thank you so much. We will be back to regular programming starting in early February. Remember, if you are listening to Nursing Australia right now on Apple or Google Podcast, please don't forget to tap the subscribe button. And for Spotify listeners like myself, click to follow the more followers, the more nurses and healthcare professionals can access the latest happenings in Australian primary healthcare. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Nursing Australia.